Father, we thank you for the love that never fails, the love that never gives out on us, Lord. This one thing will always remain, Father. You will forever love your people, your messy, broken people, filled with many issues. Your love will never fail. And now, Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, we pray that you will bless this time, Father that you will use this time to minister to your people, minister to the places where we truly live in our hearts, not just behavior, Father, but we need you to change our hearts, Lord. Our hearts have to be broken. Our hearts have to be bending toward your cross, Lord. And only your Spirit can do that. Only your Spirit can take the Word and and apply it to our lives. And that's what we need today. That's what we need today, Father. The pastor is just a sinful, broken man like everybody else. I can't put the Word in anybody's heart. I can't even do it in my own heart. That's the Spirit's job. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come and descend upon this place. And yet you will bring glory to Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to Judges chapter 6. If you were here last week, you know we're on a, beginning a new sermon series called Lessons of Faith from the Life of Gideon. Lessons of Faith from the Life of Gideon. Everyone has a God. Think about that. Every single person on the face of this earth has a God. Someone or something they worship daily. We all have that. Someone or something that they bow down to and say, fulfill me. Complete me. Give me purpose. Give me peace. Make me happy. Tell me I'm somebody. We all have a God. This is true of every single human being on the face of this earth. And for the majority of the people, including you and me, in our time, that God is the God of self. The God of self. For we worship there more than we realize, more than we ever admit. This past morning, this past Monday morning, while I was having my devotional time, at one of, one of my traveling Starbucks, I pop, I pop around to all the Starbucks, you know, having my devotions. I had a visit from a certain feeling. I haven't had this feeling in a, a few months. But he stopped by this Monday, banging on the door of my heart. And he said, who is this feeling? Well, it's a feeling of self-doubt. Self-doubt paid me a visit. And he always leads me into thoughts of feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough dad, not a good enough husband, not a good enough pastor, not a good enough friend. The list goes on and on and on. Thoughts of, of being a failure, thoughts of just being weak, thoughts of saying I don't have anything to offer. And so Monday morning didn't start out the way I wanted it to start out. But the Spirit gave me grace during my time because I quickly ran to Jesus. Now, I usually don't do that. I usually mope and pout for a few days after that. 
But I quickly ran to him. And I opened up my Bible and I, and I pulled out my journal and I started writing a prayer to him. And this is what I said. I said, Father, you see me. You see my thoughts. You see all of who I am. Please tell me something good about who I am. I live under so much self-pressure, so much self-expectation, so much self-effort that I don't have a healthy view of who I am in Christ. I do not. And the Spirit showed me something about myself. He actually convicted me. Because the feeling of self-doubt really wasn't knocking at my door. My heart was kneeling at the altar of self. I was worshiping self. I was feeling sorry for myself because I'm worshiping self. Begging self to make me somebody, to give me fulfillment, to give me purpose. But the God of self always gives me shame, guilt, and stress. That's all it ever gives me. It only ever leads me to a green pasture. So Monday started out hard, but it ended in repentance. I was able to go to the Lord and repent of my idolatry. And we're not, I'm not alone here. Each of you here worship at the altar of self. It's just what does it look like for you? And can you see it? Or are you blind? It may look different from you in mind. It may smell differently, but it's still idolatry. The false God of self is seen in the worship of materialism, consumerism, pride and ego, worship of other people, the God of self-fulfillment and self-gratification. We all have our version of it. What is it for you? And here's the lesson of faith that you need to embrace and accept. You will struggle with this modern form of idolatry, the worship of self, but you don't have to live in it. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to live in it with an unrepentant heart. You don't have to live in idolatry like the people of Israel. Because that's their issue in the book of Judges. They're living in idolatry with unrepentant hearts. They don't repent of it. And that's their issue. Because if you repent of it, Jesus will forgive you. The people of Israel, as I said last week, they were comfortable in their idolatry, comfortable in their worshiping of other gods without any conviction. And their idolatry is rebellion against the Lord. It's evil in his sight. And their idolatry is what I call their first current situation or status update. It's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to look at the consequence of their rebellion and their idolatry for the consequence of the second part of their current situation. Here's God's word it's in, in verse 6-1. I got to tell you, I'm only going to get through 6-B today. So I'm gonna, We're going to be in Judges for a long time at this rate. The, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Seven years. The Lord gave the Israelites a good talking to before he sent them into the promised land. He told them, you better not, you better not show out when you get there. That's what we talked about last week. Don't show out, meaning you better not get into the promised land and forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. Don't get into the promised land and forget the hand who feed you. I feed you. Your bread comes from my hand. 
And when you get into the promised land, you better not forget it. They forgot it. They forgot it. They started worshiping other gods. And, and, and as a parent, you know what it's like to give your kids a lecture and it goes in one and out the other, right? That's who they are. That's who we are. We're God. You see your sins of your kids because you do the same thing. That's what they're probably, they showed out into the promised land. And as a result of their showing out, as a result of their rebellion, Mr. Consequence came knocking at the door. Mr. Consequence came. Now, Mr. Consequence, when he comes into your house, he can either have a green face or a red face. Red, green face consequence is good. But when he has a red face, that's bad. Red face. Is sitting on their couch today. Because what they did was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's a negative consequence. And that negative consequence is the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven long years. That's the Lord's response to their idolatry. It's his response to their unrepentant hearts. And so my question for you as believers in 2015, what do you think of the Lord's response here? What do you think about that? He gave his people into the hands of pagans for seven years. Is it unloving? Is it abandonment? Is it ungracious? Is it final judgment? What do you think? So the challenge for us, again, is we, we, we cannot read the Old Testament and think, that, those, that stuff don't apply to us. And sometimes we think that way, I think. It's just, this is just for Old Testament Israel. The Lord is not going to give us into the hands of pagans. Come on, Alex. We're under grace. We don't, we don't deal with that stuff now. So does this apply to us today? Yes, it does apply to us. Now, he doesn't stop being their God. He doesn't remove his hand completely from them. He's given them into the hands of Midian is discipline, not abandonment. It's discipline, not abandonment. It's not final judgment. It's not him saying, I'm no longer your God. For even in rebellion and discipline, Yahweh is still that God. He still loves them. You see, God's covenant with the people of Israel offers two things. It was covenant blessings. For obedience, and it was covenant discipline for disobedience. That's all throughout the Old Testament. Covenant blessings and covenant discipline. And so if they were obedient, that means they lived a life of faithfulness lifestyle with a repentant heart under Yahweh's authority, there was covenant blessings. Now, covenant disciplines came when they did not do that. If they lived in sin and did not repent of it, repent of it there was covenant discipline that he brought upon them. And that's what he talks about in Leviticus 26, the blessings and curses of the covenant. And here's what you said. You have to believe and understand that, that the Lord God's covenant blessings and covenant disciplines are both displays of his faithfulness and love. But do you believe it? Covenant blessings and covenant disciplines are both a display of God's faithfulness and his love towards his people. He says in Judges 
I brought you from Egypt. I brought you into the land I swore to your fathers. I said, I would never break covenant with you. What is he saying there? Even in disobedience, I'm still not going to break my covenant with you. Leviticus 26, 44 through 45, the Lord says, Yet for all of that, for all your disobedience, when you are in the land of your enemies, I would not reject them. Neither would I regard them with disgust and hatred as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am Yahweh their Elohim. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their fathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am Yahweh. Again, he's saying to them, even in your disobedience, I'm not, I would not break covenant with you. I may discipline you, but I'm never going to forsake you. And the question is, do you believe and understand that Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God? He's eternally faithful to his covenant with his people. He remains faithful even when they are faithless. Because I'll tell you, when you read through the book of Judges, they did some horrible things. They were no longer worshiping Yahweh. And yet Yahweh is saying, I'm still your God. I'm still going to pursue you. I'm going to discipline you. It may be painful, but I'm never going to cast you out like an outsider. I never would do that. And here's another lesson of faith. Are you ready for it? The sin and the rebellion of God's people does not alter or change who he is. And that's a good thing for our sake. The sin and rebellion of God's people does not alter who he is. He is still Yahweh Elohim. Who is a God like our God? There is none. A God who keeps covenant with people who break covenant. And the question is, what, do you believe that? Do you live in that reality? He is still faithful to Israel, even though he gave them into the hands of Midian for seven long years. He is still faithful to them. But he disciplines those he loves. And sometimes that discipline can be painful. Just like when you discipline your kids. I mean, they're not rejoicing over it when you spank them or when you even put them in time out. It hurts. But you do it because you love them. Because if you didn't love them, you wouldn't discipline them. If Yahweh doesn't love you, then he wouldn't discipline you. The negative consequence here is not, again, final judgment. Discipline, when it's done rightly, is a love and correction. That's meant to break people into repentance. And that's what Yahweh is doing to Israel. He is breaking them into repentance. That's what the discipline is. That's what the consequence is. People who are living in sin, whether it's idolatry or whatever, don't willingly own it in their own power. Do you believe that? Do people willingly come up and say, man, I just committed adultery on my spouse. Can you believe that? No. They're not going to do that stuff. People have to be convicted of sin. And that goes for believers too. Unbelievers and unbelievers. Non-believers and believers. The only way an unbeliever will confess their sin is that the Holy Spirit will have to break them and convict them of it. That's the only way they will come to see their sin as sin. 
Because you, you have people in churches that can be in adultery and come to church every day, and now they will be convicted about that. I hope you realize that. Some of you could be living in sin right now, but you come here every Sunday, but not no sense of conviction. That's what I'm talking about. That's, those things happen here, not out there. They happen here in the church all the time. All the time. And when we are living in sin, the Lord will discipline us for it. He does because he loves us. That's why the church practice church discipline. Because it's one of the marks of the church. Because it's part of being a part of God's kingdom. And so, again, so that if you are an unbeliever and you don't know Jesus, the only way you're going to come to faith is the Holy Spirit is going to have to convict you of your sin. That's the only way you will come. You can circumcise your life all you want to by being a good person, going to church twice a month, volunteering down at the local uh, mission or charity or nonprofit. You can even pay it forward at Chick-fil-A drive-thru, but none of those things will get you into heaven. None of those things are going to get you into heaven. It takes a circumcised heart to get into the kingdom, and that only happens through the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit doesn't do that, you are still lost in your sin. Still lost. Faith in Jesus is a circumcision of the heart first. First. Lifestyle second. So if you haven't never surrendered your life to Christ, then you're still lost. And you're living in all kinds of idolatry, and you could be even blind to it. And the good news is that you can be set free if you want to be set free. The question is, do you want to be set free? Because I'm here to tell you that God himself ain't ever going to make you happy. Whatever you're living for ain't ever going to fulfill you. Your heart was created to be in communion with Jesus. And until it finds Jesus, you ain't ever going to be satisfied. You ain't ever going to have peace until it gets home to him. I don't care what you do. You ain't ever going to feel it. It was created for Jesus. And it's restless, as Augustine says, until it finds him. So if you are a believer today, what about you? If you're a believer, saved by faith in Jesus, does this sermon even apply to you? Yes, it applies to you. Because even as Christians, we still struggle with idolatry. Even as Christians, we still struggle with sin. Are there covenant disciplines in the new covenant with Christ? Or is that just the old covenant? Does Christ discipline his people? Or does grace mean I don't get disciplined? Does grace mean I no longer have consequences for my sin? Is that what grace means? No, grace does not mean that. Believers still experience consequences, and those consequences are discipline. And discipline is a love and correction meant to lead you into repentance. Discipline of grace is a grace that many believers in our time don't like talking about. Because we think grace means I no longer have to deal with the consequences of my sin. But that is not grace. I hope you realize that if you live in unrepentant sin, Jesus will discipline you into repentance repentance because he loves you. 
not because he hates you. Please know that. It's not hate. It's not abandonment. It's not final judgment. It's because he loves you so much to let you continue to live in it. That's why. Some of you may be familiar with, um, I think it's called uh, the Dunce Cap. I don't know if I put that up there. It's a little cone hat that they used to place on kids' heads. Yes. And so if you grew up in this time frame and you misbehave in school, you would get put into a corner by the teacher, and they'll put this little hat on your head. And so it was a form of discipline at one time in school. And so it was basically it's public humiliation. It's shame. And so the teacher would basically shame you into being a good kid, into being obedient. And so, so you remember, you in the classroom with all your classmates looking at you, and you in the corner like this, and everyone sees it. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus does not discipline you this way. But sometimes we think he does. He does not shame you into obedience. He does not humiliate you into obedience. He does not guilt you into obedience. He's not going to put this hat on your head and say, now go to work, sinner. No, he doesn't do any of those things. Why? Because on the cross he wore the hat for you. Because on the cross, he wore the hat for you. The shame, the guilt, the humiliation for your obedience was on the cross. So when he disciplines you now, it's not shame getting humiliation. It's because he loves you. That's why. And I should be getting some amens right now because you ain't saying amen because you don't believe it. Thank you. He does not shame you now because he was shamed himself on the cross for you. And so that means if what the things that you're feeling, if you feel like God is disciplining you right now from something, just know it's not that. It's not that. Because that shame, that's guilt, that's humiliation. It's not that. It's just lovingly, fatherly correction. Though painful, though it hurts, Though it may mean you may lose certain things, but you would never lose the Father's love over you. The question always is, do you believe it? His love for you is an endless love. We sung about it. This one thing remains. Jesus' love never fails. His love never runs out for you, even in the midst of discipline, even in the midst of your continued struggles with sin. It never runs out. He sees the depth of your heart. And yet he what? I can't, who am I? He sees the depths of your heart. And he what? I, I still can't hear you. Hey, I still can't hear you. Okay. Thank you. Amen. He loves you the same. But do you believe it? I hope you believe it. I hope you believe it. And the same is true for the people of Israel. And next week, we're going to get into the, the, what the, dis, the consequences looks like. And it's some painful stuff. But we, it's important to know that it's still Yahweh's love over them. Because sometimes you can't see the love in the midst of the discipline. You can't see it. 
but it's there. And so as you go out this week, I do pray that you will be reminded that even in pain, even in discipline, Yahweh still loves you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your love covers us even in, it covers us in the discipline. It's part of, love is discipline sometimes, Lord. And so we thank you for that. It's hard to see it. It's hard to believe it. Because as a kid, when my parents distanced me, I didn't feel love at the time. I was angry. I was hurt. But I look back and I know they did it because they loved me. And the same is true, Lord, in my relationship with you. I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel like love. But, Lord, it is. Because if you didn't love us, you would let us do whatever we want to do. But because you do, Lord, you put restraints on us. And we thank you for those restraints. We thank you for those limits, Father. And I pray as we go out this week that you will move in us. I pray for those in in our culture and those in our community, our workplace who don't know you, that you will give us to be your mouthpiece to share the good news of Christ. There are people dying right now. There are people living with some hard consequences from their life. They are dealing with some painful realities. And they don't know, Lord, if they can get free. But, Lord, they can be free. They can be free in Jesus. So as your people, Lord, as we minister to one another in our brokenness, help us to minister to those who don't know you in theirs. Because this church, Lord, is a church for broken people, not people who have it all together. We ain't ever going to be a country club church, Lord. Come here and look good and don't ever get below the surface of life. This place is for messy, broken people who can't make it if Jesus don't show up. And so, Lord, I pray as we go out that you remind us that you are forever for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.